Well, my message today is entitled, Know Your Mission. Do you know your mission? Did you ever notice how sports teams win a championship, World Series, Super Bowl, National Championship, and then they spend weeks celebrating with parties and parades and talk show appearances? With Jesus, it wasn't like that. Yes, there was the glorious Resurrection Sunday morning when Jesus rose as a victor over death and hell and the grave. But He got right to work. He restored the ones who had lost faith. He encouraged the downtrodden. He gave peace to the fearful. He amped His message up even more by sending the Holy Spirit into every believer so they could spread the message, spread the message and continue the mission around the earth. His death only served to propel him all the more. He knew his mission. If he was not if he was not even derailed by his crucifixion, then why do we lose focus? Why do we we lose momentum with our challenges which pale in comparison to his? With this in mind, let me remind you that our work is far from over. So let me ask you a couple questions. Have the challenges of life confused you about your mission? Have the cares of this world caused you to lose focus of why you are alive during such a time as this? Think about it. God could have picked any time in the expanse of time and inserted you into that time. It's not by any coincidence that you're alive right now in the body of Christ. God chose us right now to live during this time for a reason. Why? Because He believed that we as the faithful body of Christ would carry out His mission and to do it faithfully. Chances are that these questions are true for many people who have lost their focus or don't understand their mission. Therefore, we must get back to our main purpose on earth. It's not to enjoy yourself while you're young. Not to enjoy yourself while you're old. Jesus was very clear about our mission on earth to advance the kingdom of God, praying for the lost souls, sharing the gospel message with others, and remaining faithful to the Lord in all we do. This is what the New Testament is truly about. Yes, we can enjoy the God's beautiful creation and, and enjoy time with people, but we must remember our mission. The New Testament is all about continuing to share that mission to lay it before us so that we would follow what Jesus left for us to do. Yet too many people use the New Testament merely like a help section in the back of a medical guide. They figure out what's ailing them and then they read a verse or two out of context to get themselves feeling better. While the Bible does serve to bring healing truth and godly direction for all the problems we face, If we neglect the overall message of the Bible, we end up limiting the power of God in our lives and we neglect ourselves and others. The essence of the New Testament or of the epistles or the letters as we know them by is to not only chronicle the ministries of Peter, Paul, and John and others, but also to produce a God-given guide for all believers to follow. The Bible also was not given just to be agreed with. 
when a pastor says something and you say amen or think amen, we have to have a living amen. We don't just agree with what's said, but we actually turns into action and we do what the Bible asks us to do. The Bible was given to be followed, not just agreed with, but to be followed. To push us on, all of us, to evangelize. And to keep us in tune with the Holy Spirit and winning people to Christ. There are a lot of people right now in this world that are following false gods and false teaching and false things that the world is trying to offer to pull them further away from God. They are looking, and so we need to be giving and speaking and sharing and praying and pointing them to the cross. The only hope that they have, that all of us have. If you have lost your way, your purpose, your mission, don't shame yourself. Don't feel bad about it. Just ask God to help you get back on track. It's time to get back up and march forward with the army of the Lord to do battle with the enemy. Encourage those who have been wounded along the way and advance by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it's not your talents or your gifts or your logic or your knowledge that will move us forward. It's submitting to the Holy Spirit that He can take all of our gifts and our willingness and our togetherness and move us forward together that the world might know Jesus Christ, the only hope of the world. That is our mission. It begins with prayer. It is emboldened by action. Sharing the message of Jesus with all whom God sends across our path. See, it's not just in church where we talk about Jesus or think about Jesus. You may be at the grocery store and God brings someone across your path. Or you might run into an old friend and says, what are you up to? Do you say, I'm in a vibrant, growing church and God is doing amazing things in Roscommon? Or God's doing amazing things in my life? And I'm not here to say, what aren't you doing? I'm giving you some options to say what we can be doing as we go forth. We just celebrated the greatest day on the Christian calendar last Sunday. Our job is to get to work. Our job, our mission lays before us. Paul encourages us in the second letter to the Corinthians to keep marching, even in the face of rejection and persecution. He charges us to keep our focus that others might know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to begin in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Paul talks about the ministry. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry... Now understand that ministry is just not for ministers. Ministry, ministry is us carrying our mission into the world as Christians. If you acknowledge that you are a Christian and God's name is on you, Christ's name is on you, then you carry this ministry as well. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. I believe that not enough has been said about mercy as we often focus on love and faith and Holy Spirit power. But the mercy of God was what enabled Paul to continue through all the hardships he faced. And he faced a lot. He was stoned. He was persecuted. He was shipwrecked more than once. But he continued to push on because of the mercy, knowing that he himself thought he was the greatest sinner, for at one time he persecuted Christians. And yet God forgave him and wiped away his shame and his guilt and put him on God's mission. 
And so that is what Paul kept going back to was the mercy of God, that God saved me, or that God is keeping me saved. See, some of you may have been following God your whole life, and you think, well, I didn't have a great testimony where God saved me out of the gutter. But God did keep you in His hand your whole life. And so it's by His mercy when we see that, we're just implored to do more to follow God. We would do well for ourselves to be continually reminded of the mercy that God has shown us in our conversion from sinners deserving condemnation. But instead, we were forgiven and brought into fellowship with God the Father. As Paul and his fellow ministers of the Word continued to reflect on what God had done for them, a sense of this great and loving, compassionate mercy abided on them and so influenced their minds, understanding the abundance of grace that they were holding forth to sinners through the Gospel message. And because of the realization of this life-changing power of mercy, nothing could deter them from continuing to give out mercy and the furtherance of the Gospel. I think many times we think that our goal is to share with others what we believe and hope and think that they should always agree with us. And so when you have a thought like that, you miss the mercy. There's a time for truth. There's a time for mercy, as the Bible talks about. What a powerful gift mercy is. We often underestimate how much of a difference a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of compassion, and a little bit of mercy is. Yet mercy is one of those concentrated gifts. All you need is a little bit. And it literally can turn the tides of one's hopes, one's attitude, and one's willingness to persevere. Let us be wise to remember that our fellow brothers and sisters in the faith continually need to be shown mercy, even as God showers it unfailing upon us. One of the challenges of being a pastor at sharing things at times is uh, in my career as a pastor, is many people are quick to, at times, quick to challenge you, quick to say that something's off or that you're doing something wrong. And guess what? I'm a human like all of you. I'm a sinner like all of you. But I continue to trust God. And so sometimes as a, as a, as a minister, people are quick to correct us. And so it, 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 it's a difficult time to go under the call of God and understand that we need God's mercy. And we need to give others mercy as well in the body of Christ. Likewise, our evangelism efforts must not be void of mercy in our attempts to share Jesus with others. James 2.13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In remembering our mission, we must remember the mercy that God has shown us lest we lead with judgment instead of mercy. Yes, there are many in society today who are very different from us. Many who are very far away from God in their actions and their speech. And it's very easy to judge them on the outer appearances. But God tells us to lead with mercy. Our flesh is always going to want to judge them because they're different than we are. That's why we need to press into God and lead with mercy and understanding. Not judging them, 
God asks us not to judge. Only God can see the whole picture. We don't, when we see someone, we don't know why they're not following God. We don't know what kind of challenges they walk through in life. And so all, even though we, we have the truth, we want to share that truth, we need to lead with mercy. The question is not whether or not they need Jesus. The question is how do we reach them? James 4, verse 6 says this, But He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A wise consideration when sharing Jesus with others is to follow God's lead and emphasizing grace and mercy to those who are humble and broken. If someone already comes and they're already humble and broken and they're asking questions, we don't need to beat them down with the truth. God says He gives grace to the humble. If someone is broken and down, we give them grace. While emphasizing also the stark reality of truth to the prideful and the hope that they will be broken by it in order to receive Christ. You see, we give grace to the humble and we give truth to the prideful without judgment. Unless the walls of pride are broken down and personal defenses are lowered, the only message that can save one's soul cannot enter. So if someone is prideful, you have to give them truth. Not to ram it down the throats, but you give them truth that the pride might be broken so that the seed of God's hope can be planted in their hearts. God does not force Himself on anyone. He stands at the door and knocks. Only the humble in heart are willing to open the door of their lives for God to enter. Therefore, the focus of our evangelistic efforts must be to find the humble who are willing and asking questions as well as to pray for the hardened hearts that their pride might be broken so that they will offer up an opening for God to come in and redeem their lives. One of the prayers that I often pray is that, God, I pray that You would break their will, but sustain their spirit. We don't want people to be crushed, but there needs to be a breaking of their will, that they think that their will is first and foremost. What does that mean when you pray for God to break someone's will? It means that you can't go in and rescue them when they start to struggle a little bit. That's human nature to want to rescue someone. But if God is breaking their will so that He can begin to bring truth, if I come in and rescue them, they need to start all over in the process. That's where it takes discernment. God, what do I need to do to support this person so their spirit is sustained, but that their will is broken? That's why we need the Holy Spirit. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to give us discernment to know what to do so that we lead with the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, Paul continues to talk about these evangelistic efforts of our mission. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor the handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, and the sight of God. Paul describes biblical evangelism in simple terms so that there's no confusion. We renounce the hidden things of shame. What does that mean? Well, contrary to what society is telling you right now, what it means is there is a black and white. There is no area. There is absolute truth. What is the absolute truth? That no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is by His sacrifice that we come to God the Father. 
The absolute truth is that there is sin in the world and sin separates us from God. We should never be afraid to confess these truths when talking to others. To let them know that there is sin and we all sin. And sin keeps us separated from God. And the only way to merge that gap is to trust Jesus with our lives so that He could pay the penalty for our sins to bring us close with God. That's the truth. The Bible tells us to renounce the hidden things of shame. Now, renounce is a strong word. It doesn't mean tiptoe around the subject using politically correct language that doesn't offend anyone. Yet many people do not share Christ with others because they fear they might offend them. If we catch ourselves doing this, then it is clear that we do not understand our mission and our purpose. First of all, we must understand one very important truth that Jesus called to our attention. Mark 8.38 Jesus said this, For whoever is ashamed of Me and My words in this adulterous and sinful generation of Him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Jesus could not have been more clear in making this statement. If we are not sharing Jesus with others because we are afraid of what they might think of us, then clearly the object of our fear is in the wrong place. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In fact, Jesus was even more blunt later. Matthew chapter 10, He said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, we are commanded to share the message of Christ with everyone. Now we use discernment. We don't just walk through the supermarket and start talking about Jesus. We use discernment about who God directs us to and who we make a relationship so that that relationship can lead to sharing Christ with others. We need to follow the discernment of the Spirit and take advantage of the opportunities that He gives us on a daily basis. Jesus, when He said this, was not just talking to His apostles. He was speaking to many people. Hundreds or thousands of everyday people who chose to follow Him. Secondly, if you are tempted not to share Christ with others because you don't want to offend them, you must realize that the Word of God will always offend the flesh. When I talk about the flesh, I'm talking about our human desires, of what our, our body wants to do, what our mind wants to do, because we have a sinful nature. So the sinful nature seeks to take us further away from God. The sinful nature says, let the world meet your needs. But our spirit says, God alone will meet your needs. And God will use people to meet your needs as well. And so when we share the Word of God, it's going to offend the flesh. It has to offend the flesh so that we can change and be open for God. So if we're afraid of, of offending others, then we're paying more attention to the world than we are to God through the Spirit. The two, our spirit and our sinful nature, are diametrically opposed to one another. They have different outcomes in mind. The Word of God and, the, and God through the Spirit drives us into the presence of God. 
whereas the sinful flesh drives as far away from God as possible. Jeremiah 23, verse 29 says it this way, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? You see, the word breaks down the flesh and breaks down its prideful walls, not out of emotion or because of human persuasiveness with which it is presented, but merely because of the inherent power in the Word of God. We don't have to use extra emotion and shame someone for their beliefs. We can simply share the truth if we lead with mercy. The power is in the Word, not how we present it. Only the Word through the presentation of it, the study of it in prayer, working with the Holy Spirit, can bring someone to a place where pride has been broken so that God can move on a repentant heart. I heard a radio program this week and said that somebody called in and said, I don't get it. I was in a Bible study and my pastor told us that all we got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus and we're saved. Doesn't the Bible say that? Well, it does if you take that one little scripture out of context. The Bible says repent first. Turn to God, confess your sins, repent, and you will be saved. There are people saying right now that all you have to do is to believe in Jesus and you're saved. Doesn't the Bible say that? I don't know. Does Satan believe in Jesus? Yes, he does. Satan believes in God, but it's not a saving faith. Just because I believe who someone is, it doesn't mean it's going to save me. We have to understand that we have sinned. And our sin sin has caused a separation from God. And we need to repent and confess and continue to repent and continue to confess and ask the Holy Spirit to make us more like God. Repentance comes first. Repent was the first word that Jesus spoke when He came out of the desert of being tempted. We repent, we confess, we turn to God, we receive His forgiveness, and we stay close to God. That's what we need to share. When we are afraid to share with others because we think that they're going to reject us, we're missing the message. The reason why many evangelism attempts fail is because people get more focused on someone else's feelings rather than their conscience, as the Word tells us. In other words, people feel rejected or that the message has no chance just because some feelings have surfaced. And those who are uncomfortable or afraid of other people's feelings or emotions will either change their message or they will abort the mission at that point. Yet Paul makes it clear that we are to commend ourselves to their conscience. The best way to do this is the Word of God, and again, leading with mercy. We can share stark truth out of love and out of mercy if we let the Word speak for ourselves, speak for itself. Matthew 12:36 tells us, "But I say to you that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it." in the day of judgment. You can't argue with this. If we will each have to give an account of ourselves to God, wouldn't it be better if we made the changes now while there is still time? God has called us to live in this time for such a time of this. Why? Because He believes in us. Because He saved us and redeemed us and has a purpose or a mission for us. He knows it's going to be hard. That's why He gives us grace. 
He knows we're going to mess up. That's why He says, continue to come to Me. I will forgive you and cleanse you and send you out. Then I'll forgive you and cleanse you and send you out. But we need to keep coming back to Him. In fact, if someone eventually rejects the message, but this truth gets inserted into the conversation, you can bet that it will keep coming back to their minds and to their remembrance again and again until they either open up to God or choose to harden their own hearts. You may think that you talked about Jesus with someone and that person was a closed book. You may think they gave you nothing in acknowledgement what you said. Your mission is to share the Word and to pray over the seed that you planted. God's mission is to open up that heart. So don't base on what they said or what they felt. Just believe that you have obeyed God in your mission to share the Gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4. But even if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. How does one get blinded by the enemy who is identified here as the God of this age? It's an arbitrary or a deliberate decision where some are just... Is it arbitrary? Where some are just picked to be blinded and some are open? Those who have continued to seek after the desires of the flesh and follow after the false gods get blinded. Those who repeatedly ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit to stop sinning have their conscience seared so that they're no longer able to hear the voice of God. They're no longer able to hear the inclination from God to stop. As a result, those who are blinded can never be persuaded by man's speech, no matter how well he he or she may present it, to open themselves up to God. Only the Holy Spirit's conviction of a soul can bring about conversion. Therefore, the way that we become ambassadors of Christ, as He's called us to become, is by rightly dividing the word of truth and speaking to one's heart through the leading of the Spirit in continual prayer and communion with God. We continue to seek God. Yes, we're going to mess up. All of us. Oftentimes daily. But we go back to God who forgives us and restores us and renews us and sends us back forth on our mission. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Paul tells us that we are to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We must remember to keep praying through it all. Not only for prospective souls who may yet come to Christ, but equally for all believers who would continue to have faith to stand. It's difficult to live in our world that we live in today. There's a lot of confusing messages today. Politics and religion have become intertwined. And it's not always good. The world and the the message of the world has become intertwined. It's hard to know who is telling the truth unless we are in the Word and letting God lead us. We pray for all that we will continue to be able to stand for Jesus in the times in which we live. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. Again, if we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, 
who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, just as Jesus Christ is the light who has shown out of the darkness, redeeming our souls and forgiving us of our sins and wiping away our shame and bringing glory to God, we too hold this same light responsibility. What do I mean? Well, our memory verse for today is this in John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is our light in this dark world to follow Him and to keep our eyes on Him. But He didn't end it there. He also said in Matthew 5, verse 14, You, speaking of all of us, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. How can that be? Because when Jesus died for us and rose back into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. So now we carry this light with us wherever we go. We need to be aware of that. We take it into places. We take this light into conversations. We take this light into the workplace, into our schools. We are the light of the world because He lives inside of us. And it cannot be hidden. Verse 15, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand to show it off. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. God's saying, you've had this light inside of you since you received Me. Show it off. The world needs to see My light, says Jesus. Not because you're perfect, but when you mess up and you're quick to forgive or quick to acknowledge or quick to confess, that's the light that people need to see. Too many times people have messed up and they've lied or denied that they've messed up or they tell a, a, a lie or a falsity. And God's saying, no, you're not perfect. You need Me. And so shine that light. Be quick to say, I'm sorry. Be quick to say, I forgive you. Be quick to say, this is why I need Jesus because I can't do it on my own. That's what people need to hear. Not that we need to be perfect, but that we're messed up and we need our Savior. Verse 16, He said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I guarantee you, you can go out on the streets right now and talk and talk and tell people to believe in Jesus. Or you can go out and get involved in people's lives and when they see you fall, that's when they're going to watch you. Is he or she going to curse their God? Are they going to give up? Are they going to blow it? But when you get up, when you're quick to forgive, or quick to confess, or quick to say, I'm sorry, or quick to keep on serving, even though someone is unfair against you, but you're still serving them, then they say, wow, what's going on? That's the kind of light that I want to have. That's the kind of light that gets me through challenges and trials and tribulations. That's what Jesus means by sharing our light and do not let it remain hidden. We are called to be a light in the darkness for Jesus. We are to take this same light that we have been given and deliberately and intentionally shine it into the darkness that others may find their way to the glory of God. Sometimes it's done with words. Many times it's done with actions. But most of all, it's done by consistently coming back to God not being afraid to say that we follow Jesus Christ, the only hope of the world. We all carry this responsibility. This is our mission and our calling, whoever we are. If we are His and if we belong to Him, then we are lights who have been commanded to go out and to shine in the darkness. 
And if we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, like my light is the greatest or my light is really good, Paul reminds us of our proper place and our proper attitude and our proper motivation. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure, this light inside of us, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, the, another version says that we are but jars of clay carrying this awesome treasure in full awareness that the excellence of the power that resides on us and inside of us is not of us. It is of God and God alone. Therefore, we are reminded that take this message into the world even though it's challenging at times. Even though it seems impossible. Even though it seems that so many people, maybe you've read the stories on the news, I have. First time ever in the history of taking the, of this poll that less than 50% of the people in our country belong to a house of worship. People are not joining churches. They're not becoming members. They're doing more in the world than they are in the houses of God. How do we do it? The message out there, it's, it's tainted school, it's tainted politics, it's it's all over. Social media is, is rife with sin. How do we do it, God? It seems impossible. God says, it is for you, but it's not impossible for me. Our job is to take His light into the world. He will always sustain us. He will be our strength and our guide and our eternal light. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. What is he saying? He's saying it's going to be tough to put Christ's name upon us. But if we trust Him, God will see, it, see us through it all. Why does Paul remind us of all the trials and tragedies when in context he's talking about evangelizing and spreading the Gospel message? It's because our witness is never stronger than when we go through trials and when we go through challenges and unfair circumstances, and we demonstrate our trust and our loyalty to Christ by leaning on Him and praising His name unconditionally. There is no witness that speaks louder to those around us than the one that we pre when we practice what we preach. This is why God allows us to go through trials where others can see. Our mission is to preach Christ in whatever situations we find ourselves. God either designs these difficult things or He allows them, while our job is to simply make Him known wherever we are. With this premise in mind, it's easy to see why God allows us to experience trials with others. Do you know why God allows that to happen in front of others and with others? Because that is exactly where we will find those who are lost. We will find those who are lost in their trials and lost in their challenges in the, in the middle of that. God allows us to go through that so when they are lost, we can hook our arms around them and bring them with us to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. People are lost and angry and hurt and offended in desperate need of our, of our Savior. And so God allows us to go through those difficult places so that we can find those people and point them to Jesus without judgment, but leading with mercy. And finally, there's one thing that we must always keep in mind is we are remembering our mission. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10. 
we are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. What does that mean? It means before Christ, when I was sinning or, 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 or doing something wrong, I would shame myself. That's death. But the life of the, of, of the body, of, of Jesus Christ in our body, means when we mess up, we go to Jesus, and Jesus fills us and encourages us. We're no longer walking in shame. We're walking in victory because we know that we've been saved. We've received His mercy and His grace. While the resurrection was one day in history, we carry this amazing truth with us every day and everywhere we go. We are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, continually reminded what He did for us. For that's the only way that we can fully appreciate the life that He now lives in us. The strength of a powerful witness in evangelism, therefore, is to always keep its focus on the sacrificial death of Jesus. In doing so, we continually answer the question, what have I done today to show that His sacrifice for me was not in vain? What have you done today? What have you done this week? What, are we, what have we done to show that His sacrifice is not in vain? Am I continuing to carry His light wherever I go? Am I continuing to share with people that I could not make it in this world today unless I had Jesus Christ? My prayer is that by understanding this greatest of all sacrifices, we will remember our mission and go forward in unashamed proclamation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us close this message, but restart our mission with the words of Jesus. After Jesus rose from the dead, before He went up into heaven, He commissioned all of us to go forth with Him by giving us the Great Commission. Well, the Great Commission begins with co, which means together. Which means He is going to be with us as we share this mission. We need to go forward with Him. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18-20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given us a way, that You have bridged that chasm that we could not reach on our own. We thank You that when we acknowledge our sins and repent and come to You, You take away our sins. You restore us. You renew us. And then You send us forth to share Your message. Let us always be mindful of what You did for us by coming to this earth personally for us to die for our sins and to give us a new life. Lord God, for any of us right now that have not fully received You, I pray that You would quicken this truth to our minds. That You have died for our sins. And we need You, Jesus, to give us Your Holy Spirit to help us live a new life so that we no longer walk in shame, but walk in victory because of the grace that You've given us. We thank You to hold us together and to keep us strong and to push us forward to share our light in this world. 
Help us to always remember our mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.